Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke and alongside me today is Father James Mallon. How are you doing, Father? Hey, Dan. I'm well. Hi, everyone. (laughs) And over on the other side of the bar is none other than Ron Huntley. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks. Awesome. So, guys, we are on our new set and in our new studio and doing the podcast for the first time in a while. Yeah. I kind of miss the uh, shower room, though. (laughs) I, I just should clarify. Converted shower room. Yeah, yeah. I don't want anyone to get the wrong ideas. We had converted shower room. We'd knocked out the walls and created a sound studio. That was, if you've listened to previous podcasts, that's that's where they came from. And so this is a small step up in the sense that, well, we've got more space. Uh, a small step down in the sense that we are, are less able to get clean while in the space. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of nice to be here with you guys again. Yeah, it's good to be back. Awesome. So, guys, why don't we talk a little bit about how things have been going the last few weeks? I mean, you know, there's been a lot that's happened since we used to do the podcast, uh, but let's just, we can't possibly cover that ground. So, let's talk more about the things that have happened in the last week or two. There's been a lot of fun things going on, that's for sure. You know, I just off the top of my head, right away, I think about the DR conference coming up and the things that are going on behind the scenes to get uh, the ready one in for Halifax. That. The one in yeah. Halifax yeah. coming up, the yeah. R18. So I'm excited about that. And it's going to be a lot. What's of fun. Re- registration at so far? I didn't look before. We, uh, I, I looked last night. It's around 480 right now. We get people from uh, Malaysia, India, Slovenia, France, Ireland, Scotland. Scotland. We're gonna need a translator for that. Scotland. I think we we might have two parishes from Scotland. Uh, And by the way, shout out to Scotland right now. That's who's that's enduring, and all of the UK enduring some real. Halifax weather. <laughs> you will survive. You will uh, persevere. For those of us who don't follow the Scottish weather, and currently they've got a few inches of snow, right? Is that what Actually, well, one of our network parishes in London uh, sent out on Twitter, they said they had a photograph of, of snow, and they said, St. Benedict, Benedict Parish, help, help. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a podcast on how to shovel. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you don't know We're getting shovel. a new mission work we didn't even understand we, before. Folks coming from Ireland, yep. uh, we've got... Um, Lots of folks from the United States, of course, and Canada. And um, we're right now we're playing in Germany. Start. In Germany, I was and say, Australia. Australia, we get 45 people come from Australia, which is really cool. And right now we're currently planning to translate into simultaneous translation into Germany. Into Germany. Into Germany. <laughs> yes. Coming to a, a, a living room near you yeah, well, in Germany. A little Star Trek feature we've built into the, uh, the conference this year. Simultaneous, simultaneous translation into German. Nice. Uh, and, of course, you can be available for Scottish translations. We're, we're so, yeah, I laddie. We're, we're, we're so excited. See, you said Scotland and my Scottish accent comes back. <laughs> uh, we're so, we are so excited because what's going to be different, obviously, about this conference is we've now got parishes in different situations throughout the world who are beginning yeah. to live out these values yeah. and, and are seeing and so many are going to be there and right? we're going like, to hear so from them we're going to hear stories, from around yeah. the world are coming to, to and I, yeah I think that was my big thing from last time. It was one of the big takeaways for me. It was the real value for, for participants was twofold. I think it was experiencing St. Benedict parishioners, right? Amen. And meeting the people. I mean, we saw it in so many of the feedback forms. And the second was having a chance for them to meet each other. And I think this time, where we've yeah. got all these divine renovation parishes, parishes who two years ago started down this journey and started implementing the divine renovation model in their parishes, I mean, like to, to see how they've, they've transformed and for them to be able to share their stories with the people next to them, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. great. What else have you been up to? You uh, well, a bit? we were Rob and I were down in New England uh, week last week, a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. We did uh, two things. We did an event in Nashua, New Hampshire. There were about three hundred and fifty Catholic leaders from I think sixty nine parishes and seven across seven different states, 
and we did a full day mm-hmm. and a number of presentations. They they actually had us do 25 minute presentations on like big, That's humongous cool. topics. So that was a real challenge, but it actually worked well because in addition to that, they had testimonies and we were blown away. There That's was awesome. one parish that got up and talked about the impact of the DR16 conference on their parish. This one pastor, 71 years old, talked about it, his whole priesthood is being transformed in ministry. I was like, I could have listened to this guy all day. It was like, <laughs> forget, get, get this guy to give the talks. Like, it was amazing. It was like, oh, it was just so incredible. So it was a, that was a great day. We, we, we covered topics like, you know, leadership, structure, and vision, and using Alpha to reach people inside your church and outside of your church. That's great. And then we had a final session on, on the Holy Spirit and finished the day with Mass. The uh, bishop of the local diocese was there. So that was on the, mm. on the Thursday, mm-hmm. and then we jumped in the car and drove to Springfield, Massachusetts. And the next day, uh, I spoke at a conference of 700 evangelical Protestant leaders, nice. which was really cool. I, I gave a keynote in the morning, and then in the later in the morning, I was on a panel discussion about Catholic evangelical uh, dialogue, looking at uh, four areas, relational, ecumenism, th- theological, uh, missional, and structural, which was absolutely fascinating. It was really an amazing experience. So that, that was great. And while we were there, you and Father Simon were in Baltimore. That was a fun experience, too. We were invited to the MAC conference as a follow-up to you going the previous year, and so we are really excited. Although uh, we really didn't know what we were saying yes to, we were all in, but then we found out you know, we were doing a two-and-a-half-day intensive, and we were responsible to come up with 18 hours of content for the exact same people. I thought, I don't know if I could be with myself for 18 hours. So we weren't quite sure, you know, what that would look like. So we planned it out, and the more we planned it, the more excited we got. But then also, too, and this is interesting, two of our network parishes went to the MAC conference and signed up for that intensive and brought a lot of parishioners with them. And I thought to myself, to be honest with you, how much is too much? Mm. Right? How much is too much? I mean, they've been in the network for the last two years, and actually one of them, no, both of them, I was at their churches in the last few months to do a mission. Right. And then to come and do 18 hours with us, I thought... How's this going to go over? And we went to dinner that night, and I asked them, you know, frankly, like, give me the straight goods. They said it was exactly what they needed. They said to hear it, so much of it together, condensed like that, and really diving into this stuff with other churches that aren't in the network, they said it absolutely regenerated them and got them re-excited again. Mm. I thought, well, that's neat, you know, because we're this is new for us too, isn't it, as we continue down this road to equip people. And I think what's different is, you know, when we're... When we were on the inside, it's like we're saying stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. And this is what's said and what's heard. But also we're talking primarily, Ron, when you're in coaching and the other coaches are coaching, you're meeting one-on-one with the pastors or with their leadership teams. But what I'm hearing from you is they brought parishioners. They did. And over the years when I was pastoring, one of the big, the huge investment, if you can get key parishioners and bring them to a conference and help them to grasp a bigger vision, that is worth its weight in gold because... Again, it starts with vision. If you can inspire people to think, wow, it actually can be different. I, ne- I didn't even know this was possible. That's, that's gold. That's much money in the bank in a sense that true. person comes point. home and they're going to go for it. And, yeah. and that's a tremendous investment. So, mm. I remember the first time you invited me to go to London to the 
leadership conference at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton hosted, and I fought you tooth and nail. I That's didn't want right. to go. I was already a fan of Alpha. I, I didn't want to use up any vacation time to do that, and you, you wouldn't let it go. And I finally, just because I care about you and I trust you, I said That's yes. because I said you were, you were fired if you didn't go. <laughs> no, I didn't, I I didn't <laughs> But then, you know, I knew five minutes after being there, I could have left and I was a completely changed person. Yeah. So I did mm. need to be there. I just didn't know. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, and, and I thought I didn't need it. And isn't that well, what we run into all the well, time? But one of the reasons why we, we, we don't think outside of the box is we never get outside of the box. But if you don't even know what outside of the box looks like, how are you going to think that? So mm. I think that's one of the contributors to what I see as a kind of a, a lack of an astounding lack of pastoral imagination that I often encounter in the church. And that's not to put any blame on anyone. It's just that if if all we do is compare ourselves to the person next door, then we're doing we're not okay. Doing too bad, we're not yeah. too bad. We might even be better than that. But, you know, we're doing, you know, compared to that person, we're doing, we're doing well. But it's that whole thing. What his health looks like? And if you don't know what it looks like, Oh, it's not gonna. Mm. It's not gonna motivate or, or, or move. Can I tell you what? What I enjoyed last of all the things that we've done in the last couple of weeks. You launched thing. a website too. Oh, well, by yeah, the way. we launched That's a website. Cool. Yeah, there's a million things that happen in a given week, but there's one thing in particular that I, I look back on in the last week or so that I, I, I think I've got a particularly fond appreciation for, and I actually snuck a prop on set oh, here. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> here it comes. You're right there. Oh, there, there it is. The uh, the Divine Renovation Apprentice book released by our buddy Father Simon Lobo. We did the book launch for it, and That's it was just right. like it was what a week ago, a week and a half ago. We did. I can't even remember. It was a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago. Five days ago. Five days. Yeah, See yeah. how fast time goes. Five days ago, we did the book launch for this. We had a, we published this with our with our partners, Word Among Us, uh, who were gracious. They flew into town, and and James, if you're watching, thanks for coming into town. You were awesome, and they, this book is amazing. Yeah, and great. what was even more amazing than the book was Father Simon Lobo's parents getting up and talking at the book launch party. Yeah, that was hilarious. I mean, talk about a roast, man. That was that was, uh, that was hilarious. Uh, no, it was beautiful. It really was. And we're so we're so proud of Simon. You know what he pulled off, and mm. you know this these reflections. You know, Father Simon had been asked by a good friend of his in Ottawa before he even came here. How are you going to transfer? How are you going to communicate what you're learning? So he was already thinking in that way, like, I know I need to do something. And then uh, Bishop Scott, uh, or the, the, who's now Bishop Scott, he was the, the, the leader of the community, uh, made the same challenge. And of course, we had this idea of, you know, written reflections, like theological reflections. So in, in, so when he started writing these, they, they were of such exceptional quality. There was a sense that these are going to be very helpful. But to, to pull off this, those reflections week after week in the midst of a really busy schedule uh, was, was amazing. And then, of course, once you get a once you've got a manuscript, that's when the work of publishing begins because you've got to rework it and rework it. And so, mm. and anyway, congratulations to Father Simon for this amazing work. And uh, I think the third book in the Divine Renovation series now. It's um, and it's an excellent one. And I heard someone say, "I hope this is a little easier to read than Father James' book." <laughs> it is. It is. It's not. Uh, there's no like you know hundred page chapters and there's no like it's a, all yeah, this it's a quicker read. theology stuff. Yeah. It's 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 actually brilliant. It's it's under the hood. Um, kind of unfiltered in one sense yeah. about what's going well and what's not going so well and where we struggle and very applicable and, and practical. And I think, uh, I, I think, I think anyone, again, any, anyone with the book, but good book, yeah, but yeah, okay. his parents were funny. Oh yeah. His parents were good, yeah. 
<laughs> and his funny. mom made people cry, right? Like, so his mom made people cry and then his dad made them laugh. It was like this amazing uh, act, the two of them together. And, and we were lucky. We caught some of it on camera. So I think, you know, some of it's going to appear later and maybe some Good. promotional mm-hmm. videos. But yeah. what a great kind of great stretch we've had. Anything else come to mind over the last few weeks, things that we've been involved uh, in? We got, we got a, it's hilarious. Last couple of weeks, we had an application to the network from, uh, from Spain. Network, yeah. And one from Portugal. So not sure how we're going to do with that. Mm. But uh, that was a surprise. Yeah, meeting with Pablo and Tote from different parts of the world. So right now, just so, so people can follow along. I mean, like we've got, we're coaching parishes in Canada, um, the United States, Australia, Scotland, England. I think those are the, the places. I don't think yeah. I missed anyone. No, I don't think uh, so. We're in contact with many, many more parishes than, than in places than that. But those are where we've actually got parishes that we're into weekly or bi-weekly you know, One of the coaching. ones that I'm really excited about that just joined the network is they call themselves a hub, hub mm. parish? Hub parish, yeah. Hub parish. And they've been given a mandate by the bishop to to create something brand new. Yes. Uh, and it's between... It's strategically positioned between two universities and the mandate is go get the young people and build an entire parish around that and they've come to us to help them with the divine renovation network and it's so it's going to be so much fun to be a part of that explosion and that that's in birmingham england and there's my understanding they've kind of like got a warehouse and they're and they're and they've got a group of young catholics and they're specifically targeting catholics in their 20s in their in in their thirties no. as well, it's kind of like a church plant, you know, the, the closest thing. Closest thing we've experienced so, of one, yeah. right? So I, that's that's really exciting. You know, Father Morrow in Australia just built a building, and so he we've been working with him in the network for over the last year, and they just launched their brand new building, and mm. so we're involved in a couple of d- different type of like we're working with a, a community. Uh, charismatic community in Australia as well, which is a different model. And so it's fun kind of coaching into these different models, these churches in different stages of their implementation of mission. It's, it's a well, thrill. I was on a uh, call because uh, one, one of the things, Ron and the other coaches meet one-on-one with the pastors and with the leadership teams. I do a monthly session with, with the priests, and I had one last night with the f- five guys. But last week uh, we had the guys from Australia Two Australians, two guys from Halifax, and two from Omaha, Nebraska, and and just looking at the different shapes and sizes of parishes across the the, the yeah. network. There, one night we had uh, Mark in, in in England, who's got five locations, I think four or five uh, buildings where he does mass on a weekend, and and then the guys in, in Dallas, Texas, they've got a weekly attendance of nine thousand people. Uh, and 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 a, a small parish in outside of Omaha with two locations with a total of 400 people on a weekend and all in a sense sharing about how they're implementing these same values in the different contexts which it's really it's really amazing to experience well that's what that. I find so interesting in terms of coaching into these pastors and their teams is what we're wrestling with and the things that we need to do to overcome the problems are so similar, whether you yeah. have 8,000 people yeah. coming to your parish on a weekend or 150, the principles are pretty yeah. close. The situations are going to look a little bit different, but I'm amazed yeah. at how much we share in common in terms of the struggles and the things that we have to do to overcome cultural shift mm-hmm. and start to bring more people into a relationship with Jesus. It's awesome. Yeah. What I hear from you when you talk about some of the priest calls that you're on is a lot of it is just this... Well, the recognition that they're not alone in this and that there's other guys struggling with a lot of the same things, that there's actually just value. In, and, and when those five guys get together, there's sort of a... There's a well, com- I'll tell you a funny story. The, uh, last week, one of the guys, 
uh, said, "Oh, I got my uh, I got my first anonymous letter." And it, everyone was like, "Yeah, yeah, get an anonymous letter. It's great. High five, you know, over the over the internet." And yeah. So it was it was it was funny, but there was a. It was always, you know, it's like congratulations. You're like going to get that, those letters. That, that's actually yeah. a, a mark on the journey. You start getting anonymous letters. Yeah. That's actually. That's, they're they're no know, fun, but they're not fun. You can't but, avoid them. <laughs> you know, and so we we had a chat about that. You know, how do you how do you filter this stuff? You know, because there's legitimate feedback, and then mm-hmm. if there's any change that you try to make, you're going to get feedback, and and so we had another tricky situation this week in one of our network parishes too, didn't we? Yeah. You know that um, they're making some courageous changes for the right reasons thought they had everything in place and and um they were they faced incredible resistance yeah Mm. and and it just underlines that the importance that if you know as you set out in this journey of maintenance to mission you 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 have to be in good communication with your bishop and 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 letting him know what you're doing and 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 also to remember to don't try to move too quickly i mean sometimes there's a sense okay we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, 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 this in the in, in the first year. And this particular issue was around the issue of, of of sacraments and sacramental preparation. And shared with the guys, you know, we didn't change that until the beginning of the third year. Mm. And we, I knew right away I wanted to change it, but we started communicating about the change halfway through year two, and we took six months of communication, including communication with the bishop and all of that before we actually began to execute these th- these changes. So, and it was tough because I remember during that period too, you'd be frustrated with our youth person when you'd be putting laying hands on these people for confirmation. You're like, wait a minute, I don't even know these guys. How come they're not? So there's that tension that we had to manage between getting to where we want to be, which now is all of those kids who got confirmed are actually still coming out to the youth night every week yeah. and are engaged. So there was, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And yeah, and the, the sacramental <laughs> thing is, is huge for us. I mean, I think of all of the proposals that within the model of divine renovation, you know, the the, the trickiest one, the, the most sensitive one is is actually the most important one. Like what what's the main thing? Like the main mm-hmm. thing is to, is to keep this, to make the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? And this is it. It's, is it to make disciples or is it to sacramentalize? And even though Jesus plainly told us the answer to that, to make disciples and then baptize and teach, and the church teaches it. There's uh, an operating, a theological operating system that underneath us that even as often is unconscious that 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 drives us and motivates us because deep down the reason why we keep doing it is because really we actually believe that's what we're supposed to do. In the end, it's always going to be a yes, but yes, but, and we're going to default back to that. And that's why that is such a crucial thing. Do we really, really believe that? That we're actually called to bring people to 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 know Jesus and to love Jesus, and people often say, "Oh, if you don't just put people through, you know, sacraments and you know, no strings attached sacraments on on demand, you're shortchanging people." Shortchanging people. Well, we're doing this, and they're not coming to know the heart of of Jesus. They're not coming. They they're not coming. We're not helping them to come to know Him. That's shortchanging people. Well, and we just had a staff retreat. And one of the beautiful things that our speaker, Jim Murphy, shared with us was that, you know, in terms of shepherding, if a sheep keeps running off, it's dangerous because the other sheep will follow. And so he's faced with a challenge. Do we, what do we do to make the sheep not run away? And one of the things they do is they lame it. They actually break one of the legs. But then when they do that, the shepherd has to literally carry it 
everywhere it goes because until it heals. But because of that relationship, they, he, he has to sleep with the sheep, carry him everywhere he goes, everything else. The sheep really attaches itself to the shepherd. And then once the leg heals, once that sheep has experienced the shepherd, it never leaves again. Yeah, it was beautiful. And image. you know, he was saying that, like, if we help people fall, know the shepherd, then they won't leave. And that broke my heart when we were in that when we were in the retreat because I'm thinking then we're not doing a very good job as a church because people can't wait to leave. Mm. That's right. And so this is at the heart of the sacramental piece. It's not working. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's it, it, it's tragic, and yet we we we've with this this addiction to it. And I don't know what it is. Is it you know because we de- we believe this is what we're supposed to do? Is it because it's something you can measure and count? You know, we had X amount of people. You know. People even sometimes in my work with the diocese, I'll hear things like this said when talking about vitality of parishes. People say, well, you know, have they had any, how many babies have they baptized in the last year? If you've not baptized any babies, then that's a sign of a, a problem. I'm thinking, well, you could baptize 100 babies and I think you still got a problem. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how many of those babies <laughs> that were baptized 20 years ago are, are in your church? The, 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 it's far, far deeper than, than just those kind of, of, of measurements. I mean, are we baptizing infants? Are we making disciples? I wish, I wish we could, yeah, count sacraments, I suppose. But how's that working for us? Mm. We, need, we need to start counting the very Change things that, that we believe are important. And that's all around um, metrics around discipleship. That's a whole other topic. Mm. What I love is that we haven't been doing this for a long time. And you guys show <laughs> up and it's like you just flip the switch and off to the races. You're not that rusty. Not that rusty. Hey, there's one other thing we, we didn't talk about <laughs> is that? the Divine Renovation Association, which by the time you hear this uh, within the next few days is going to be... Maybe the next few hours. Even. Maybe the next few hours. <laughs> I know, we're having that conversation uh, just a couple hours ago. And that is uh, kind of a, a Netflix-type platform with, with, with video resources. If you're in the network, you get total total uh, free access to all of those things. There's There are programs you can use for, for small groups for discipleship. And then there's modules around leadership where we're... We're still creating those videos. Our hope is to create new content every single week. Ron, mm-hmm. there's a there's a great module up there. I think it's almost all uploaded. Something like 27 different videos, like six to eight minutes on how to get the best out of Alpha in your mm-hmm. in your parish. You get one a short one on preaching. There's so we want to add to that, including a monthly webinar, and uh, we're really excited about that. And part of the benefit, I think, is and one of the things that we're thinking as we put this content together is even at St. Benedict, we find ourselves entering into the same conversations over and over and over again, which takes time. And yeah. sometimes there's leakage. But if we had this stuff captured, we could flip mm. these videos to people and say, hey, could you watch this? And then we'll talk. And then yeah. there's not a slippage in video. It's a good use of time. And so we're trying to think of ways, how can we equip people who are using divine renovation as a model to impl- take their parish from maintenance to mission? But we'll be able to use it too at St. Benedict Parish. And so mm-hmm. these are resources that are going to be useful for yeah. us. And hopefully, I, mean, I watched people. a few of your videos. They're not bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's as good as a compliment. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They really, they really are. They're absolutely amazing. And, uh, and yeah, and it's not, it's really kind of like insight from the trenches in many ways. Like sure. it's, it's uh, after years of, of doing, doing this it. and the, the learnings <laughs> and making our, making the, stupidest of mistakes we can continue to learn that way so so we're there is so much excited eh? like there is about so that. much that we have that, that that's happened in the ministry in the last year and one of the things dan i know i just kind of alluded to it quickly but you did you rewrote our 
website, and I think you've done an amazing job. <laughs> One of the things specifically that we've added, which I'm really excited about, is this whole idea of click to commit. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yes. whole concept of, hey, do you feel in your gut, that in, in your heart of hearts, that you want to do whatever it takes to to, to Bring your parish from maintenance to mission to really go on the yeah. offensive as it, as it relates to bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. And if the answer to that is yes, whether you're a clergy, whether you're you know the pastor of your church, or whether you're a layperson, go on that website, mm. click, click to, uh, click, click, to click to commit, to commit. Yeah. <laughs> click, click, click to commit. Yeah. And in doing that, if they want to, they can put their web or their email address, and we'll send them the monthly. Well, we came up with this so idea exciting. when you and I were in Germany, and you were here, and I remember texting you from Germany. I was, you and I were together, and I was texting you from Germany, and it was like, like we want people to to commit to becoming missional. We want them to commit their parishes to becoming missional. How? And part of what we want to do as a ministry is we want to get a lot of people to do this. We want to get <laughs> a lot of parishes to do this, so we can change the church, right? And so I, I can remember we were talking about, well, how are we going to measure? Because we want to really make sure like, it's one thing to say it but it's another thing if we want to be intentional about measuring it and and so I, I don't I don't remember exactly how this idea came up but what killed me was we came up with the idea I think a day and a half after you spoke to 12,000 people uh, at the, the mayor conference with a hundred thousand watching online it's like a hundred and twelve thousand people had we come up with that idea a week earlier I think I think click to commit would have been really off to the races yeah. but uh, I'm yeah. grateful that we're doing it now because we're already early on I mean we've only had it up on the site for a week or two, and, and we've already had hundreds of people click the thing. So it's, it's amazing how fast it, it's, it's growing. Because the reality is God does want to bring vitality to his church. He, he does want fruitfulness in yeah. his church, and he will use our yes. Whether we're a lay person, yeah. a clergy, he yeah. will use our yes so that they can change a church. And we just exist mm. to inspire and equip, right? But he's right. going to use you who yeah. are listening to this. He wants to use your yes to do a crazy cool thing for others. It's so fun. All right, guys. So okay. uh, as part of our new podcast format, we bring in a guest. So uh, the production team and I met, and we scoured the world <laughs> for the very best possible guest. We looked at all the A-list speakers in the Catholic world. Then we thought, well, let's, let's look at all the A-list speakers in the Christian world. And then we, we just we, we put them all into a hat. We shook it up, and we pulled out one name, and we came up with John Stevens from our Ooh. very own diocese. So uh, we're going to take a brief pause, and then we're going to bring John on set. John works with the Archdiocese here in Halifax, Yarmouth, and I think he's got a lot to share with us. Excited. So now sitting at the bar with us is John. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Excellent. So, John, you work with the diocese. What's your, what's your job position there? My official title is Manager for Pastoral Life and New Evangelization. You sound so excited about how, how, how eloquently placed your title is. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it, with most things diocesan, it's probably more complicated than it needs to be. But uh, <laughs> it describes, you know, a big area of work that we have, pastoral life. Mm. That's everything that a parish does. Mm. And then linking it to new evangelization, uh, maybe in the words of the network, becoming missional. Yeah. You know, and so how do we take everything that we do in all of the pastoral life of a parish and help it become missional uh, and even in the work of the diocese? And that's in Canada, our bishops have that term, uh, and I think it comes from Joy of the Gospel, pastoral conversion, mm -hmm. you know, undergoing that conversion of the way that we do things so that missionary is the or mission is the ordinary operating principle by which we do everything. Right. So that's our job. Not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do that in a parish. It must be that much more difficult to do that working in the diocese. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, I mean, what we're dealing with is, is uh, 
multiple parishes, multiple personalities, multiple uh, realities, lots of different mm -hmm. disparity in terms of geography, population, demographics, you language. know, language, we've got a couple of different languages uh, at play. And so how do we manage all that, deal with all that? Well, obviously we make parishes, right? The bishop erects parishes and, and they're the ordinary way that the lay faithful ex uh, experience the church. That's from the catechisms. I don't even have to make that up. And so <laughs> then how do we make that ordinary experience of the church, a missionary experience, you know, uh, and how do we work with parishes to do that? Sometimes that means tackling our structures. Sometimes that means tackling our, our values, our, our assumptions. Uh, sometimes that just means tackling someone, you know, maybe able to get their attention and to, uh, to be able to get a point across. Right? I, I think in some ways that, you know, John, you said sometimes the reality is that it will always mean tackling our structures or tackling our culture because culture uh, is, is, is a living thing. It's either going one way or another. It's either going to support your mission or it's going to take away from from your mission. Structure, uh, if, if the structure is static, but it's supporting a living thing. So you've got to always ask your question: Is it is it is it supporting it as well as it could be, or is it not? So the structure always needs to be evaluated as well. And and one of the things that we see going on across the world right now is dices across the world. Are really really laboring under a structure that is from a bygone era. Someone once said the church is 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 perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. And so one of the issues that dioceses are are challenged to to deal with and grapple with is this idea of how do we change the structure that exists in in most dioceses in the Western world uh, to serve our present reality, not just to to maintain it, but to actually enable our 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 parishes to become missionary and and that is essentially to be have as its primary concern a parish to have as its primary concern not its only concern its primary concern to reach the people it does not have versus a secondary concern to serve and keep the people it has that is an enormous shift an enormous shift in 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 thinking an enormous shift of the heart to say that, that while we we want to care for the people we have for sure and help them and support them and help them to grow We've got to be primarily about reaching the people we don't have, and that that's a that's a huge challenge for parishes. Well, it certainly is, and uh, it's the challenge of the new evangelization, the joy of the gospel. The Pope Francis outlines those different subjects or those different audiences. One is the people who are there. One is the people who are kind of supposed to be there. They're baptized, yeah. <laughs> but they're not fully living their baptismal call, is the way he politely yeah. says it, enjoy the gospel. And then those who have never known Christ. And so mm. how do we uh, organize ourselves so that all of those people are... Uh, being served, you know, and for those who are already there, how do we help them become the ones who serve uh, those mm -hmm. who aren't there? You know, it's a challenging. So, question. John, we, we we work with a lot of different dioceses, and I know our you know one of the things we've we've discovered is that the relationship between a parish and a diocese isn't always healthy. Now, that's not the case here in, in Halifax, here. <laughs> but but like, I just put on that hat. Imagine what it would be like to have, be in a diocesan office where perhaps all the relationships aren't as well managed. How do you? How do we get past that? How do we make sure that, you know, that the diocese and the parish, they're, they're both in unity and in lockstep as they move towards mission? Yeah, I mean, one thing is, Father James always says, if you have two visions, you have divisions. So uh, what happens sometimes is a parish might have a vision and maybe the diocese is working, you know, to serve a, a world that doesn't exist anymore. I think that's how most parishes mm -hmm. in your network would probably maybe experience or feel mm. some things or vice versa will happen that the a bishop will have a vision for a renewal and for evangelization but the status quo and structures and certain things like that are going to cause tensions um, i think the biggest uh, probably principle is 
about people, right? Like how often do we do this? I know in the diocesan office, uh, not ours, but in other places, it'll talk about the parishes or the priests or, you know, as, as a body, as a kind of a, almost like, you know, we talk about the enemy or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, depersonalizing people. Yep. And it probably, I don't know for sure, but probably happens at the parish where they say the diocese doesn't know, you know, it's head from its hands or, or whatever. And so it might happen. So we, uh, <laughs> we have to, at first and foremost, I guess, just re- recognize it's like a people process mm-hmm. and, and who's the person. And Father James and I have these conversations in the past, you know, like he's complaining about the diocese doesn't do this and the diocese doesn't do that. And I'm like, Father, there's only 20 of us who work in the chancery <laughs> office. Who exactly are you talking about? Well, not you, the, the system, the structure. Well, that's fair. I think we all want to change the system and the structure. So now we get the conversation to where it needs to be. What in the system and the structure is, is causing you problems? And vice versa, you know. The parishes aren't on board. The pastors aren't on board. Well, who are they? Mm. What are they struggling with? What are they going through? Uh, if they're laboring under this same structure and the same system, and what I'm asking them to do or the bishop is asking them to do what they see is just one more thing mm. on top of everything, well, that's a problem too. So I guess get it to the level of, of relationship and with people. I think it really changed your relationship with our bishop after one of those conversations where you started Take him out to dinner once a month or, or every so often and uh, having conversations and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and John, John and I have actually got a very rich history together. John, we were at World Youth Day in Rome together. Remember, mm-hmm. we, had, we had a blast in those days. That was 18 years ago and where we certainly had a common passion to see renewal in, in, in our church. And, and John's been working for the diocese for these great number of years. And there's been a lot of learnings because I was you know leading a parish towards this, really was inspired by the, by the vision of our bishop and maybe the kind of person who just just give me permission and I'll go do it. Now that creates its own set of problems too, but uh, <laughs> never, there, wa- there, there was a tension there. And, you know, and I've been very open in the past in saying for a period of time, I was not, I, I was in a place from which I had to repent in terms of my attitude, in terms of that discontent, which is a good thing. I mean, if, if you're not discontented, come come on. Like, don't you know what God wants to do? Like, how can you be satisfied with what it is? But that discontent is, is going gonna, is gonna to shape your vision and going to be fuel for you. But be very careful because that discontent that can go from being a godly discontent to being an ungodly discontent where frustration and anger and even sometimes hurt can, can build up. And, and you, you can have harsh attitudes in your heart, a spirit of accusation. It's the enemy's playground, isn't it? Absolutely. And I remember a turning point for me was... When I saw reflected back to me my own attitude in one of the staff members of, of the parish about, oh, the diocese, and it was like seeing myself in the mirror, it was like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Yes. And I, I had to get down on my knees. And, and, and really, you know, it's so easy in a breakdown of a relationship mm-hmm. to, to just be pointing the finger. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm part of the problem. And so I, I need to go and build relationships to start going in to see the bishop. And I remember, John, I don't know if you were there that day but it was about two years ago when oh, yeah. we were we were brainstorming in our in our team meeting and i think it was rob who I said you were let's 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 go down and take coffee and donuts to everyone and we got a big one of these big 20 ga- or i don't know how many gallons <laughs> but a big huge thing of coffee good old tim horton's coffee if you ever visit halifax although it's all over the world now there's even uh yeah there tim horton's all over the world okay. but we got tim horton's coffee and donuts and you know creamers and little mixy things and sugars and and i think there was about eight or nine of us and we just we showed up unannounced and we we called it a coffee bomb <laughs> and we went around the different departments just coffee and donuts and saying people, thank yeah. thank you thank you for what you do because we've taken you for granted thank you 
thank you, thank you. I remember one of the one of the staff members was actually in tears, and I'll never for, I'll never forget that experience because it was like, man, I've I've complained ten times more than I've said thank you, and I've got to own that and I've got to repent of that. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? And now the irony is now I'm working for the diocese. <laughs> like, You're part of the problem, <laughs> those, Father. Those, those, really priests, those parishes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked earlier about getting the high five for the first anonymous letter. I mean, when, when you work at a diocese, uh, and I've worked there almost 15 years now, that um, you know you become the central complaints department. Mm, it's true. More anonymous letters will come to the bishop than will ever come to a pastor who's yeah. making changes in a parish. Yeah. Uh, when the so people call in, they're either calling in from a parish because something's wrong, usually. Mm -hmm. They're calling in because the roof has blown off the church or they can't afford to make a payment on something or, or something like that. So when you're dealing internally with, with folks, that's what you're dealing with. And then externally, it's, well, the pastor has done this or done that or hasn't done this or hasn't done that. Or, you know, occasionally you're going to get an inquiry for some kind of service, but it's going to be difficult service like, how do I get an annulment because I want to get married? Wasn't the church relaxed on those things? You know, and so... When you are a central office or a headquarters, and yes. this has been true in other industries that I've worked in, that you're not getting the, you did a great job today calls by and large. So when somebody does stop in and says thank you or affirms or, uh, you know, brings coffee and donuts, I wasn't there that day, so you should probably do it again soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> that it makes a big difference. And we yeah. need to do the same thing in reverse when we're dealing with our parishes, how, yeah. you know. You know, That's a, a priest point. would say, I only hear from the bishop when there's a problem, yeah. right? So as a, as a bishop, as a diocesan staff, can we call when a good thing happens or, mm. or just in general? You know, I, we have some parishes that are struggling with some issues right now. Priests just resigned. We don't have another one to send there. You know, well, we, you guys haven't been close to us during this time. You know, and we're kind of like, well, you haven't asked us to come close to you. So yeah. how do we monitor that? Yeah. And part of the issue of structure is... It's hard to pay attention to what's happening in dozens of places yes. when there's only, for example, six people who yeah. work in, in my office. So yeah. how do we monitor those situations? How do we know that that's happening so that you do need someone to come alongside you and support you? Because nothing worse than somebody coming and saying, I want to support you, and you'd rather them just go away right now. Well, I wonder, because you know, even us as a church at St. Benedict, you know, at one point, you know, we had these ministries for going and visiting people and things like that. Then all of a sudden we created connect groups. We changed our model. We changed our structure. And now people are being cared for by one another. And it's so cool. And they're not coming to Father for this or Father to that. You know, it was a structural change. It'll be interesting to see, you know, for diocese. Like, wouldn't it be cool to you as a priest? And, and I know they do that. Priests have priest groups and stuff. Well, but are you really... It's one of the things that we had to look at in our diocese because we were really struggling in it. And there are many, many factors. And that one of it is simply the fact that, you know, someone changed the rules. Like they changed the rules. Like all the stuff we were trained for, the way we were trained to do ministry, the things that were once worked in parishes, they're no longer working. We're afraid, we're scared, we're overworked, we're overwhelmed, all of these things. And and there's a struggle and, and it's this is happening all over the place. And so we actually did something called, uh, we worked with Gallup and used a Q12 survey with our priests around the issues of how do we, how do we come together and, and better support each other. And certainly it was feedback about, you know, downtown and all this, but what was very, very strong as well is we need to a bit, do a better job of caring for one another and somehow expecting that downtown is going to 
solve all our problems. That's sense. ridiculous. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. sense. Like, like grow up. Yeah, be like yeah. asking the pastor, like you, to be everybody's personal chaplain in a church of 2,000. That's, unre- well, that's I mean, unreasonable. We're not infants. What happens in a family with lots of kids? Eventually, the older kids, more mature kids, care for the other ones. We care for one another. And that's ultimately the goal of, of any mother or father, any parent, is to is to grow the children and free them gradually from from that kind of dependency. It doesn't mean that the the parents stop caring and loving their kids, but that that was a that was that's a part of the challenge that we're facing. And and one of the things, again, as we've said earlier, that structure can 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 either lift you up or take you down. And and what's and structure of our diocese needs to enable leadership so that culture can be formed, so that strategies can be created, and best practices can flourish and bear and bear fruit. And I think one of the pressing issues in a diocese right now is to address that structural thing. John, I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about what our diocese is, is attempting to do, because I have to be honest, I'm incredibly excited about what our bishop, our bishop's vision, what he's proposing and his courage in doing this, because being out there, you know, visiting different dioceses in Europe and North America, and and I think what our bishop is, is striving to do here is one of the most courageous most exciting things I've seen. I, I seriously, I think it's, uh, you know, it's exciting and scary as well. So maybe tell us a little bit, or to tell the, those who are listening in a little bit about it's that. Super frightening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because we do have to deal with structure. Okay, and when we say structure, I mean let's be really clear. It's infrastructure, it's physical structure, mm-hmm. but it's also our leadership structure. It's also the way that a parish prioritizes what it prioritizes. And so there are multiple facets at play. But I think you mentioned the Q12 survey. And what we saw in the Q12 survey is that the structure is actually killing our Mm -hmm, priests. mm -hmm. They're stretched too thin. They're so busy. And so what you want them to work how many hours a week on their homily, you know, and they can't. Mm-hmm. They just if they put a time cord around their desk, they just couldn't do it. One of the reasons, some of the reasons for that are, are you know, perhaps their own walled in terms of not developing these structures around. But some of it is what's expected and what's demanded yes. and what's supported and what's rewarded and what's yep. tolerated. Absolutely. And so we do have to deal with the question of structure because I think a lot of times what a diocese will try to do a diocesan office that's a diocesan office of evangelization or new evangelization like mine will say, okay, well there's some best practices from Saint Benedict. There's some best practices from. Uh, some other place in the world, uh, there's a great video resource program or something like that. Here you go, start this. Right. Mm-hmm. Without dealing with all that that's stuff right. that, that's <laughs> underneath it. it. Then we'll do the crazy thing that, that sometimes the diocese will do is just, we'll say from the programming people say, do this. And then the next day, the finance people will say, here's a new policy on collecting something else. And then the third day, somebody will send out to all parishes, hey, there's a photocopier for sale. Does anyone want it? And so, you know, this is just this, this kind of overwhelming uh, kind of... Uh, uncoordinated measure of communication and, and lack of consistent vision and mission and, and, uh, and vision. So that's something. So what are we trying to do to change all that? Mm. Well, in some ways, we're no different than, than other parts of North America where you see dioceses that are 200 parishes going down to 40 or, yeah. or 50 or whatever. What makes ours any different? What makes that restructure of, of 66 to some number less than 66, uh, what makes that different? And I think two things make it different. One is we're doing it so that it's step one of a bigger change. And we already know what that bigger change is. We want evangelization to be a priority. We want mission Mm -hmm. to be the priority. We want to reach the people who aren't there. So when we're making that structural change, it's to do what? It's to put a a leader in place, a pastor in place, but sometimes even because we don't have enough priests, a lay leader in place, you know, it might be a possibility, with supported by a priest, to, uh, to then say, okay, put the leadership in play. 
You know, build the structure around that person with a pastoral council that makes a plan for the future and a finance council that spends the money with the mission in mind. So there's kind of a, a multi-layered approach that we're taking. Now, we do have to get over the hump of structure because, like I said, we can't bolt on some of those other best practices to, to a structure that's not really built for it. It's like sewing a patch onto a new patch onto old cloth. It'll stretch it and break it and it won't work. John, you... Um you, you mentioned uh, a week ago in one of our meetings, you, you drew a, a graph on a, on a board about, you know, the fact that when, when any organization restructures, there's an there's a initial bump because think about some of our rural parishes, instead of five half-time secretaries, maybe you, you, you consolidate, you, there's savings on administrative uh, uh, work, and, and, and so there's an initial boost of energy and excitement in, in the restructuring. But it's like the same question we asked at St. Benedict Parish. If all we do is come into this new beautiful place and keep doing everything exactly the same way, what's going to stop the decline? The answer is nothing. Say a little bit about that, that graph you were talking about. Oh, yeah, that was uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's a, a study that was by the Boston Consulting Group of uh, organizational transformations. So not churches, uh, but just businesses. So these businesses say, okay, we're... We're on a kind of a downward cycle right now. We need to do something. So we'll restructure. We'll take cost out of the organization. We'll get more efficient. We'll get more lean. And we've all maybe experienced this if we worked in industry or <laughs> yeah. something like that, you know. <laughs> and that's cool. And, and what happens is at a certain point, there's actually there's some realized gain from that, that, that we see a little bit of a bump. We see a little bit of early wins. We bounce see back. a little bit of bounce yeah. back. But then what they were saying there, they'd studied 75 or, or 100 uh transformation companies, 75 of them were in the same boat, you know, over time and had to restructure again. The 25%, what changed? Well, what changed was they had a new business model, a new vision, and a new strategy. So you're rearranging the pieces not to consolidate and grow slower or to manage a decline, but you're rearranging the pieces so that you have what you need to invest in a new way of doing things. And that's uh, St. Benedict is a bit of a case study in that. You know, we have three parishes that come together. They form one. They build a new building. What's different? Because that happens all over the world all right. the time. Yeah. What's different there? Well, it's all about Father James. He's amazing. <sighs> or they put new principles in play. They put a new vision in play. They put a new way of doing things in play. Yep. And that's the step two. That's and, right. you know, the whole, I think the uh, title of that study was Why Transformation Needs a Second Chapter. Oh, cool. yeah, absolutely. You know, and absolutely. so the second chapter is really what our focus is, but you got to get through the first chapter. And yes. the first chapter is sometimes difficult and painful and not easy. But until you do that, the new strategy, the new business model, the new paradigm, the Pope says mission needs to be paradigmatic for the church, can't go into play. You know? well, I have the, a question for you guys. Like, yeah. what, what, what are the temptations? So, so, okay, so we have to d- address the infrastructure. And we know we do. And like you say, we're not alone in that. There are lots of, what are the tempt, like what choices are there for me as a, as a diocese, if I'm on a team of a diocese, like what temptations do I have? Like, what are my choices? What's the best one and what's the worst one? In terms of restructuring a diocese? Yeah. Okay. The, the options to me are quite clear. One is to be in denial, to do this and to deny, and to deny that there's a problem and to change nothing. Okay. Or to say, uh, I might know there's a problem, I'm going to leave that for, for the next person to come along. Um, so that that's certainly an option, and it's a pretty popular option these days <laughs> in the church throughout the world. Uh, so option one. Option two is is to um, put pitch out there to the parishes, okay, we need to take that, we need to, we need to do this. 
What do you think? Let's wait for you guys to come up with a solution yourself. Not a very good option. You guess what? In the vast majority of cases, maybe I'd say if you're lucky, one third, one third of parishes who are invited to get together and propose a solution are probably going to have a solution that they're going to follow through. And I think in two thirds of the of the situation, it's not going to happen. I think uh, definitely um, to maximize consultation is key. Absolutely is key because we might, it's like anything, we might think this is a great idea. When you speak to the people who, who are most directly affected, they might have a whole different perspective. And if they're on board with the vision, that's key. What If they're on board with the vision, what they propose might be way better than what we can propose. So there needs to be a maximized consultation process as well. Um, but I think that underlying that, there, there's two essential options. One is the distinction between clustering and amalgamating. John, why don't you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess clustering seems to be a, a, a common practice mm-hmm. for sure. And that would be taking four or five or seven or 14 or 86 places. I think I heard <laughs> of a place in France or something. And that was 36 parishes. 36, the guy yeah. had 36. Well, 86 sounds way better. <laughs> don't edit that. Uh, so, but the point being, but it's taking more work and spreading the same number of people over that work, right? So, so you're the pastor of one place. Now you're the pastor of 36 places or seven. Three places. finance committees, three pastoral councils, three of everything. Right, everything that's it's canonically it. required. So a finance council, yeah. a bank account, uh, you know, all these different things, plus the maintenance of all those buildings. So everything that sucks the life out of you times two times three times four times 36. The way to go! What an amazing solution. So clustering. <laughs> In it, Sorry, a little bit. Of, there's a little bit of sarcasm. <laughs> Please forgive me. So, but it, it is it is difficult. It's it's just to do more with less kind mm-hmm. kind of theory. So, an amalgamation, uh, a merger, if you will, is the joining together of those same number of parishes and maybe keeping those same number of buildings even mm-hmm. open and operational. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what changes is you're streamlining the ability to provide uh, the service that's required, both to the internal people who are there and eventually hopefully reaching the people who aren't there. How does it streamline? Well, one bank account makes a difference, one finance committee, one leadership team, one parish council that's making mission-minded uh, decisions and making strategic plans, you know? And so I think that's the biggest difference is, is to try and consolidate for the sen- for the sake of getting enough resources to yes. pivot into a different direction. And that's not that's right. easy either. No. Like, let's face it. Like, if you, Let's say your church and my church were asked to amalgamate. Well, your church is bigger than my church. I see what's going on here. You guys are taking yeah, us this over. This is an acquisition. Now we're going to yeah. have to do yeah. everything your way. And, oh, you know, and my kids were baptized here, and I was married here. And, you know, that's oh. not easy. Oh, the, the problems just began. I mean, this, uh, you know, I was part of that. You know, before I came to St. Benedict's and the number of parishes I had before, we're going through that process to, to different degrees. And we went through a, the full process in the parish I was at before I came to St. Benedict Parish. And it's replete with problems. That's why one of the first things we can do is to get pastors equipped and set up in a leadership team. Because I went yes. through all the stuff under the old, the old model of leadership and it, it, was, mm-hmm. it was tough. And like in our network, we, we say, you know, it took us four years to figure out that we needed to needed a different leadership structure, and we discovered the dynamics of senior leadership teams. But we work with parishes. The first thing we get them to do is why go through all this by yourself when you can get a team around you to help you. But so that that that's a there's a whole new set of problems that come once we address the structural issues at the diocesan level, and that's where phase two is going to kick in at our diocese. John is like how do we 
equip the, the, these these leaders? How do we come around them? How do we support them? How do we set well, them up for success? Let me ask you a success? question. When it comes to setting up those leadership, because we talk to, I mean, a lot of dioceses call us. We get a lot of those calls. Yes. And, and you know, they're all, frankly, I mean, they're calling not because things are so awesome, right? They're calling because they're, they're in, in the same situation that we see over and over and over again all over the world. And and so one of the things I know that, that I've found myself in conversation uh, on uh, is around when is it right to, to build a leadership team around these these pastors, these priests? Is it is it before the restructuring, or or should we wait for the restructuring? Because I I, I think they're the, partly. I mean, a lot of them are, are you know they're they're ready, ready, ready. Wait, wait. We've got some more things to talk about first. Okay. And so, like, what's when do we pull the trigger? Okay, on but that, I, I that think that the starting point is to remember that, that that don't think of a leadership team as a static thing. Like once once you. You have your first group of people. That's it. You're locked down. This is this is the team you're going to work with. Leadership teams, as you've experienced, Ron, in the coaching network, you got to feel your way around this as you go forward. You might discern um, that maybe it's time for this person to step off, or maybe this isn't working. But definitely, look. I don't think there's there's ever a time when it's a wrong move for a pastor to bring men and women around him to help him make better decisions. Like, what, how could, when could that not be a good thing to do? So if, if you're at the beginning of, a, a, say, a year, and you know that a year from now there's going to be this incredible change, bring a team around you with that in mind. We're traveling for a year. A year from now, I, I as a pastor, might be leading a much bigger parish. Then, of course, you're going to want to, as much as possible, uh, have a, a more diverse grouping. You, you want to have the best people and of course, it would be a value to try to pull in people from these other communities well, as well. What about this? I already have a pastoral council, so I'm okay. Well, what's the difference between a pastoral council and a leadership team? I already have a pastoral council. Yeah, that, that's a great one. I have and good people around and me. if your pastoral council are willing to meet with you once a week for three hours to deal with all of the issues you're going to be, that are going to land in your lap that you don't have a clue how to handle, good for you. Uh, and I would recommend that you bring your pastoral council team down to about six to eight people because otherwise you'll never be able to make those decisions so, which is effectively saying make your pastoral council a senior leadership team the reality is pastoral councils by their nature you want to be consultative as possible you generally want to have higher numbers so the dynamics of senior leadership team break down secondly people are not available to meet with you to work out all your tactical issues unless you're in a coma and you could you once a month, then you could you've got enough to keep you busy once a month. But if you're moving on this, I mean, John, I'm thinking about our situation. Like once this happens, like it's it ain't business as usual. Yeah, a lot of things are going to change, and a lot of support is going to be needed. And uh, you know, all the things that you, people are going through in your coaching network will be be very similar issues that are going to come up. The the first change, you know, is going to bring letters. The second change mm-hmm. is going to bring letters. The third change is going to bring letters. You know, uh, and you know, you're going to have to have people around you to say, okay, and who are committed to the vision, who, who are able to do this. I think, how can dioceses help? Okay, because we're just saying, you know, well, they're all doing this wrong, they're all doing that wrong. But they do have certain levers they can pull that I think help, you know, as opposed to, you know, I get the sense sometimes, even from, you know, our meeting, we met last week with the DR people and, and my my own team at the diocese, like, how is this going to look like and what could it look like in the future? And one of the senses I get sometimes is that, the best possible scenario for a diocese is just to leave us alone and let us do it right. Uh, not necessarily from you guys or, or from parishes in the network, but just like that's all a diocese can do is stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there are active things that they can do that can actually support the culture that we're trying to create. For example, only a bishop can appoint pastors. So is he willing 
in his you know personnel planning. So we've been looking at this, for example. So when the personnel committee meets, normally it's like there's no pastor there. Somebody got sick. Somebody died. Somebody moved. Whatever it is, who can go plug the hole? Yeah. So can we move past a hole plugging strategy Amen. to a you know who's gifted for leadership to be Amen. able to go into to that scenario and make a difference? So that you know that could be a lever that a diocese. diocese pastoral councils. You know, they're not even required under the code of canon law unless a bishop says it's a norm for my diocese to do. So not only can he say every parish should have one, but he can write the norms for them. He can say, well, they should be strategic. They should be, you know, we should just take that chapter out of the book and, and, mm -hmm. and plug it into what's happening with diocese or with parish councils. And the same thing with finance councils, you know, we set the norms. Yeah. Um, but that requires all of us to kind of be rowing in the same direction. That's right. Uh, and maybe that's not always the case. But there are things I think the diocese can do that are eminently helpful. And you mentioned earlier, Dan, like we're trying to get enough parishes in the network and change enough parishes to change the whole church. Well, imagine if there was a cluster of them who were all together in one place, one geography, acting in the same way, acting out of the same model, acting with the mission in mind. Well, you get an effect that's bigger than even if just one place is doing it. That's right. And they can speak into each other. It's right. really hard to challenge St. Benedict Parish as a diocese when they can turn around and say, but we're already doing it. We're light years ahead of what you're proposing. And, and uh, it's, you know, no one says this outright, but, you know, it's hard to speak into that because I, I don't work in a parish. I haven't undertaken any real change or anything like that. So how can I speak into what you're doing? But if there's a bunch of places around that are, you know, and you saw that effect happen when you had the DR conference last time and you anticipated it happening again when the network parishes get together. Well, then you can feed off each other. You know, and Father James's inner competition strength will come out, and he'll, think, and he'll want to do it better than the other people. And I, I, I just think that there's a way in which there's then an accountability, even for the front runner, to to be able to have someone else to to speak in and say, "Well, you're doing it that way. We tried it this way. That might work better, or this might work better." And one of the things I'm seeing in the network, which I love so much, is it, I don't know if it's accountability so much as it's humility mm -hmm. to learn from each other. I find we learn so much from the other people in the mm -hmm. network as they innovate, as they take risks, as they take chances, as they evaluate what's worked and hasn't worked. And so we're learning from each other continually. And it's so much fun. But I guess the accountability piece is how many people are you bringing? How many disciples are you making? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? How many people are in, small, in groups? You know, how is your giving going? You mm -hmm. know, there are measurables that we're going to be continuing to look at and lean into because that's where the rubber hits. You know, that's, those are sure. leg measures that allow us to see if what we're doing is working. There's been a lot of learnings along the way as well. I mean, I think that one of the primary weaknesses in a lot of dioceses, and I think it's a change that we've experienced here locally, is that the, the starting point of, of almost like a one-size-fits-all or a pastoral plan, the, the starting presumption is we're all going to do this together. And we recognize, you know, those, those, the, the adaptation, the, the dynamics of that is that there are always going to be innovators and early adapters who will, who will lead a change and take it on. There'll be others who will wait to see what happens before they get on board. And then there'll always be a group, uh, whether that's parishes, priests, or, 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 or parishioners that, who will just not get on board no matter what. But mm. if your plan, if the execution of your plan is dependent on a universal buy-in, you're never going to get off the starting line. It's just never going to happen, which means the, the, there's got to be um, a, 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 different, a, a different approach to different groupings. John, I remember a couple of years ago, we had a chat about this that was right when we were kind of <laughs> in the heat of things and working through these things. And you said to me, but Father James, you know, like... Um, if I'm out walking with my kids, I don't know if you, you remember saying this to me, 
I don't want, yeah, the older kids can maybe run ahead a little bit, but if they get out of my sight, um, that's a problem. They need to be together. And I remember the time, it was one of those things, it was like, yeah, that really makes sense. And then afterwards I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, but what if, what if your older kids are 21? I'm not saying we're 21, but maybe for a few of the kids, it's okay for them to not be within your sight. Like it's, it's like there's, there are very, very diverse groupings in how do we, how do you balance that? It's a, it's a tension because we're not independent churches. You're part of a diocese and, and you, you, as a parish, you, you can't move as if there's no accountability or you're not part of a greater whole. That's wrong as well. But at the same time, how do you, how do you, how do you leverage what's going on and then help that parish to, to, to help, you know, float the boats around it, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it, there's no, I don't think we've got any clear answers around it, but I no. think we've got a greater awareness of the dynamics, perhaps. In my family, the older ones have to stick close by because I want them to look after the younger ones. So, yeah. I mean, th- that's also necessary too. How can you flip to a mentoring or a, a mm. you know, a coming alongside, um, which is an interesting thing to do in a diocese, you know, where there's proximity, where, you know, you get a little bit of profit in their hometown, uh, you mm. know, kind of effect in those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, it assumes relationships, it assumes willingness. Like families mm. eat together three times a day every day. They sleep together, their parents say the prayers with them, they go to church together. Like, they spend a lot of time together. Parishes don't spend time together. Mm. And so we might say we want that to happen, but that's fat, that's social engineering. It doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. to be real. Uh, you know, just because we're in the same proximity doesn't mean, you know, it's like saying people in a, that go to church every Sunday are a community. Most of them don't feel like that. Yeah, right. And so yeah. just because they're in the same proximity actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's yeah. my feeling. John, maybe give us a little bit of uh, concrete sense, just for those who, who are listening about what we hope this might actually look like. Again, it's people keep saying, oh, there's the, you, the diocese, we have this big plan. Well, actually, <laughs> there's no plan. We're trying to figure out, we're trying to listen to parishes and even the initial proposals, the, the, none of it's written in stone. We're still, it's very much fluid right now. But what would you say a little bit about what our diocese might look like? Like, you know, there's one diocese in the United States, uh, Pittsburgh is recommending going from like 184 down to 48 parishes and, and but what's roughly what are we aiming for and what's the what's the what what do we hope is going to be the situation on the ground there sure i mean we can say a couple of things about principles um and i guess just geography dictates a lot in Absolutely. a diocese a diocese is a territory and that's important to think about sometimes um and it includes a city in our case that's quite large and holds half the population of the province and then some rural areas still need, those people are still important, their souls still matter, Amen. you know, and we need to reach them as well. So, you know, balancing act around geography and then balancing act around uh, how the resources get, get going out. But we have 66 parishes, probably when you include missions and different things like that, I think it comes up to 88 buildings, you know. Um, then what would that look like? The bishop's saying, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 parishes. But what would a parish look like? A parish could have multiple buildings inside of it. You know, in funny way, uh, we call it a communion of communities. It's kind of a language that we're using. St. Benedict is a communion of communities. They have one building, but you have connect groups that meet, you know, outside of it. And that's actually the place where the primary pastoral care mm-hmm. is happening. That's where people mm-hmm. know what's going on in their life. That's where... The four different mass times. Yeah. And four different mass times, which essentially are different communities because right. they rarely ever uh, cross over or interact mm-hmm. with each other except at a large liturgy or an event like a mm. mission or something like that so it, it, we are okay to accept that for some reason in yep. one location mm-hmm. but it's possible to do that in multiple locations so we're okay with multiple locations 
if that makes sense. Yes, you know? it's sustainable and, and, sustainable. and, and, and people are on mission. Right, and so stage one, and because I think it allows us to put the presence of the church close to the people that we're called to serve. I love it. Not the people already in there, but the people in those communities that, that need a service. And it gives us a, a mission point, a, a mission center or, or something in that area. So that's fantastic. And of course, as much as possible, the Eucharist should be at the center of these communities, right? Uh, so we, we're fine with a communion of communities. Um, and that might be a stage one, like there's going to be 15 to 18 groups of parishes merged into one, they're still going to own a number of properties in that one parish. But they still get the consolidation effects of, of bank accounts, of single leadership, of single programming, of single staff, uh, and that kind of and thing. And the so model we're, one. we're moving towards is, is actually there's, is in canon law that in a, some situations you can have what's called a moderator. So it would be in every one of our parishes, we're going to have several priests and maybe some deacons and, and lay people. So you're going to have, every, the goal is that every parish is going to have a team no one's going to, it's not going to be the priest all by himself and, and, and even a, a number of priests. And so you have a priest moderator and, and hopefully people ministering out of their giftedness as well, which is a whole other learning. I mean, because it does, I mean, we're so used to flying solo mm-hmm. uh, that, that there's a whole learning that comes with really not just leading a team, but leading out of a team as well. That's, that's a yeah. part of our hope as well. And that's important because... <sighs> I, I, my son plays hockey, and I ran into one of the fellows that he used to play hockey with, and he got traded over Christmas. And I said, how's it going? I saw him after the game. He said, you know what? This is the most difficult thing I've ever done. I said, what do you mean? He said, growing up, we always played, most of the coaches I've ever played under always had the same style of play. But this team, this coach, has a totally, completely different way of playing the game, and I'm really struggling to fit in to this model of hockey. And... What you're saying is a complete shift of a model, mm-hmm. and yet people aren't formed in that That's model. Right. So therefore, what support, how do we transition people successfully into that so they can right. succeed? That's, that's tough. So there's the new structure, then there's the new leadership, yes, and then there's the supports that we need to be able to provide. Mm-hmm. And if you look at our uh, three-year pastoral plan, most people, dioceses have one, we have one too. You know? yeah. But that's what it is. It's changed the structure put the right leaders in place, and support the heck out of them. That's right. You know, and so you're talking about training for pastoral councils and finance councils, training for leadership teams, you know, and Mm. then support for priests. Mm. I think about, you know, calling the diocese or or something like that. Can I see it as calling my support center? Who's there that's in my corner? Yes. So how does, I pick up the phone and I call John, and John, I have this issue. Yeah. You know, and how do how do I deal with it? Well, we're going to deal with it together. You need mm-hmm. to come out there. You need mm-hmm. to talk to somebody. You just need me to listen to you. You know, and you guys talk about your coaches as being coaches in one sense, but also mentors mm-hmm. and teachers mm-hmm. and facilitators. You know, and, yes. and those sorts of things. And I, I think that's going to be needed too. Like the uh, the approach, and the bishop has said this from the very beginning since he's come in. He doesn't like the idea of a pastoral center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastoral center of the church is the parish. You know, Amen. because that's where the people Love gather it. around the Eucharist, right? So what are we? We're we're, I don't know, something generic. We're like a service center. We, yes. we are a support center, you know, where we offer support to parishes. Does that mean, yes, we're going to partic- you know, uh, favor particular resources one over the other? Yes. Why? Not because the publisher took us out to dinner and bought the most wine or something like that, but because this is the one that's proven to bear the most fruit, and it's a shortcut for you. It's not, mm, it's yeah. not an imposition for you, but it's mm. like this one already has been proven to work. Save yourself some headache, yeah. and, and let's go. You want to do something else, we'll support you in that, sure. but... But let's talk about what fruit looks like. like So if we can agree on fruit, sometimes, you know, whether it's this or that, as long as people are coming to Christ and we're forming disciples. In in, in the end, 
you know, as you deal with the structural reality and the decline that that's happening and we're struggling with across the Western world, if we simply restructure or reorganize and move from one losing position to another losing position, we keep losing. And there is the, the protection and the promise of Jesus to the church is to the universal church, not to our particular church. We need to keep that in mind and let's not be in denial. We need to do what it takes. Can we, do we have the courage to do life-saving surgery? I mean, who would volunteer to undergo life, radical life-saving surgery if they didn't think their life was at risk? Do we have the courage to do what needs to be done? Why? So we can merely exist? No, so we can become healthy and so we can begin to grow again. That's got to be our aim is to get yeah. to a, a baseline of health with capacity to meet the challenges that are present in this culture, this new postmodern culture, so we can begin to grow. And eventually, whether it's 15 to 20 parishes, maybe 20 years, we'll be back up to 30 parishes as vocations to the priesthood come, <laughs> as we evangelize, as we raise up leaders, as we as we split off these combined parishes. That's that's my dream. And John, I'm looking forward to sharing more about this with you. You're, we're going to be doing a workshop at the DR18 conference, we're going to be sharing a workshop on this question of parish diocesan dynamics and really looking forward to that. So That's look, great. guys, it's so great for, for you to be here to, today, John. It was awesome to have you as, as, a, as our first guest. Wow, this is like yeah. a big deal. Given the build-up, you know, you're going to be all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And it was great to have you guys back on set. So if, if people want more of you, Ron Huntley, where should they look you up? I can be found on Instagram at RM Hunts and Twitter at Ron underscore Huntley. Not his middle name. Oh, no. That joke came back. <laughs> I, yeah, wow. Thanks. Uh, Father James, if people want more of your amazing sense of humor, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, at FJ Mallon is the easiest portal. Yep. On Twitter. On Twitter, yes. yes. Sorry. <laughs> and hey, uh, John. Hey, if they want to find you, buddy, where, where should they look for you? Or follow me personally. That's at John Stevens HFX uh, on Twitter. And you can check us out at HalifaxYarmouth.org if you want to learn more about our plan and what's happening mm. there. And, of course, catch you at the Divine Renovation 2018 conference up on stage with Father James Mallon. Yeah, for a workshop. It's going to be fantastic. And I got permission this morning from the organizers to register my team, even though we're not a pastor and a leadership team. So thank you for that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, my name's Dan O'Rourke, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Dan O'Rourke. But really what you're looking for is the Divine Renovation website where all the cool stuff is, the new, fancy, pretty-looking website. So check us out at divinerenovation.net. You'll find our association there. You'll find our network, uh, free resources, a bunch of other stuff and that's and, the best way to connect and don't forget click to commit click to commit <laughs> awesome <laughs> thanks guys bye-bye <laughs>